You know where we're going to be this morning? We're going to be in James chapter 3, so please go there. I'm just going to read a couple of verses from verse 13 of chapter 3. <clears throat> we read these last week, and I'm going to read them again. And then I've got, uh, I'd like to just focus on the second half of this passage this morning. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good work, his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I want to talk to you about sowing seeds of wisdom in our lives, sowing seeds of heavenly wisdom in our lives. How many of you desire peace in your life? I do. I want peace with God. I want peace with my, my friends. I want peace with family. I want peace with, in my, my relationships. Well, here are some clues for us how we can live our lives and how we can sow seed in the right way that there's a harvest of righteousness, there's a harvest of peace in our lives. And we all long for those things. And uh, last week, I tried to just show from this portion a simple challenge that James gives to us as Christians. It's a basic challenge for all of us. And I called it... I said it was the greatest challenge that we face as Christians. And all of us, the greatest challenge that we face is to live a dazzling Christian life. It's to live a life that is being changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not to strive, not to try hard, but to allow the Holy Spirit in us to transform us from one degree of glory to another and to show something of that grace that's touched our lives, to show something of that to the world. This is truly the greatest challenge that we face. And so... We have the Olympic Games, and, and, and I put it to you last week that there, there are many challenges that people like to rise to, whether it's competing in, in the Olympics or climbing Mount Everest or, or, or cage diving with white sharks, whatever it is. There are great challenges that people like to rise to, but the greatest challenge that we are called to rise to as Christians is to become Christ-like. That's a profound thing as you meditate a Upon it, And really, I've called this whole series Dazzling Christianity, and that is what this book is about. This book of James is about living a dazzling Christian life that speaks of, uh, in terms of light to our, uh, into our community, that, that transforms us, that we are salt and light to the, to the nation. And so, it's about having joy in trials. It's about having faith in God. It's about enjoying wisdom from heaven. It's about showing good works. We looked at that in chapter 3, that vindicate our faith. It's about living your life for others. It's about controlling your tongue and being aware that your tongue can do good and your tongue can do evil. Depends on how you control it. It depends on how it steers your life uh, from either towards maturity or away from maturity. These are the things that we've been, looked, been looking about and this is dazzling Christianity. This is what it's about. And so, there's a simple encouragement from James that as we leave behind earthly and spiritual demonic thinking and wisdom, we move towards embracing wisdom from heaven. 
and giving ourselves to living in a way that pleases God. And he defines this wisdom. He says it's full of peace, it's gentle, it's open to reason, it's full of mercy, it's full of good fruit, it's impartial, it's sincere. How many of you wouldn't like to live like that? And this is, uh, R.T. Kendall uses this phrase. He says, this wisdom from heaven is the genius of Christianity. This is the true genius of Christianity living like this. Living in a way that's impartial, sincere, full of mercy, full of peace, gentle, open to reason. This is the genius of Christianity that only comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. And remember, James started out in chapter 1. He started this letter by saying, count it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Remember he started out that like there was his basic encouragement. And remember the writer to the Hebrews in chapter 12, verse 11, he says a similar thing. He says, in the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the fruitful peace of righteousness to those that have been trained by it. And that phrase, fruitful peace of righteousness, is the same phrase that James uses in the last verse that we read today. A harvest of righteousness. It's the same thing he's talking about. I want to say that God's discipline is always the discipline of a father. And for those of you that have kids, you know that when you, that, that discipline is a teaching tool in our lives. I'm not talking about discipline being beaten. I'm talking about discipline that teaches us and helps us to learn what is wise and what is not wise. And, and as you raise your children, that's what God wants you to do. God wants you to help them to see what is wise, what's going to bear fruit, what's going to encourage life in their lives, not what's going to encourage death in their lives. In the same way, God's discipline, God's teaching in our lives is always because He wants us to grow up, be strong, be mature, become like Christ. It's never, ever, ever to tear us down or discourage us. Are you with me? That's the heart of God. God is He's good. Every good gift, every good thing comes to us from Him, from above. And so, let's let the Word of God train us. Let's let the Word of the Holy Spirit train us. God is a good Father towards us. So, all these things, hard times, difficult situations, uh, the teaching of God, the discipline of God, are all in our lives to produce in us the, the power by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can become effective witnesses for Him. How many of you um, in this time of, of uh, recession have learned to see money in a different way? <laughs> Isn't that amazing? None of us would have learned that. Le- you, you don't learn that lesson when there's plenty. When you've got more than enough, you don't kind of learn the lesson of the value of what you have, the blessing of simple things, the blessing of relationship, the blessing of family, when there is not a lot of money, suddenly you value everything else differently. I want to put it to you, that's a lesson that we all need to learn. I want to put it to you, that's a lesson that this country needs to go through. That actually our hope is not in material things. Our hope is in internal things. Our hope is in friendship with God. Our hope is in friendship with each other. These are the things of eternal value rather than finances. I promise you. You know, when you're young, you kind of, I, I found this out, you know, when you're young, you try and be hip in every way. You wear the right clothes and you try and fit in with the culture. And the, you know, the older I get, 
the more I realize those things have no eternal value whatsoever. The only thing I know about fashion is that next year it's out of fashion. It will change. But there are things that are eternal that um, we need to put our trust in. I'm not saying we must walk, walk around uh, being miserable and not being aware of looking good. I'm not saying that at all. Hear what I am saying. All right. So I'd like to make a distinction as we talk about wisdom this morning between wisdom as a gift and wisdom as grace, because I think this is very, very important. And uh, 1 Corinthians 12 is a very famous portion in the Scripture where it talks about the gifts of the Spirit. Remember that portion, the gifts of the Spirit? And um, Paul writes and describes, and the Greek word there used for gifts is charismata, charismatic gifts. Um, and wisdom is the first of those gifts that is mentioned, and is, is mentioned as a most excellent gift. What James is talking about here, wisdom from heaven, is distinct and separate from what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, as charismata, as a gift from the Holy Spirit. There's a difference between the gift of wisdom and what James is talking about here. It would be quite um, likely that if someone is extraordinarily bright and gifted intellectually, they would, by God's common grace in their lives, just by that gift of intelligence that God has given them, it's quite likely that they might be wise. It would be a natural thing that they would be able to consider all the options and come to um, a wise process in their lives. But that's not what James is speaking about here. He's not talking about a natural gift. He's not talking about intelligence or, or anything. And Paul speaks of the gifts of the charismatic gifts again in Romans eleven twenty nine, and he says this: the gifts charismata and the calling of God is without repentance. Have you read that before? The gifts that God gives you and the calling that God gives you is without repentance. He doesn't take it back, and it's an important thing to remember, especially if you've been in the church for a while, because hasn't it ever puzzled you that? Sometimes there are men and women that do extraordinary things in terms of giftedness for the kingdom, and yet at the same time they seem to live unwise lives, they seem to live immature lives, and they go off and do extraordinary things at the same time. Have you ever wondered why that is? Well, because Paul tells us right here. He gives gifts to people of grace, grace gifts that are extraordinary. They have nothing to do with your repentance. They have nothing to do with your maturity. They have nothing to do with your spirituality. They are a gift to you. And that's why you can get some evangelist who, um, who, who does extraordinary signs and wonders, and at the same time, there are in, things in his life that are immature and are not godly. Character and gifting are not the same thing. You hear what I'm saying? So we don't ever depend on the gifts. We depend on God forming His character in us so that we can be good stewards of the gift. You with me? And church history is littered with very gifted men with great charismatic gifts that don't have the character to sustain that in their lives. And they run off with their secretary. They take the church's finances. All of you know stories like that. You hear what I'm saying? It's not the same thing. So... Wisdom from heaven that James is speaking about here is not that kind of natural gifting. What he's talking about is an anointing from the Holy Spirit that is available to every one of us. Wisdom from heaven. John 1 John 2.20 says this, You have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. Every single one of us 
John writing. And um, James is saying that this wisdom from heaven that he's saying all of us can have is an anointing from the Holy Spirit. And it comes into our lives. Remember I said to you that that charismatic gift, those great gifts, are given without repentance. They are given whether you know Jesus or not. You have, you have, you have uh, gifts. Remember we talked about that in terms of common grace. Remember? Some of you are good sportsmen. Some of you are bright. Some of you are gifted at business. That has nothing to do with your, your, your ability. That is something that's supernaturally given to you by God. It's a gift of common grace. You with me? But this anointing that comes by the Holy Spirit, this wisdom from heaven that comes by the Holy Spirit, only comes when you are born again. It only comes as you draw near to God. It only comes as you walk by the Holy Spirit. And that's why I'm making a distinction between charismata and I'm making a distinction between charismata and wisdom from heaven that James is talking about. And actually, the Greek word shows it very clearly. Because the Greek word that James uses is chrisma. K, not K, C-R-I-S-M-A. As opposed to charisma, which comes the the charismatic gifts, that's the root word. And so why James uses that word is to show a a distinction that this anointing from the Holy Spirit, it's a similar word, but it's not the same word. This anointing from the Holy Spirit is not something that you have by nature. It's not given to you by God's common grace. It's a special anointing in your life that comes by walking by the Holy Spirit. And so the crucial difference is that this kind of wisdom doesn't come without being born again. It doesn't come without repentance. That's why John, I read to you now, it says you all have been anointed by a Holy One, by the Holy One. You only receive that anointing when you're born again. You hear what I'm saying? And in fact, uh, in that portion in John, that's spoken in the context of the end times, uh, when many will leave um, the church. And it's, uh, John says this, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued to be with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they were not all of us. In other words, they weren't all saved. And he's using it in the context of the end times. And um, it follows verse 15, which says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So what James is talking about is an anointing by the Holy Spirit that does affect our lives. It does affect what we value. It does affect our attitude. It does affect our love for the church, the love that we have for God's people, our willingness to obey God in every area of our lives. That's what he's talking about. All right? And um, verse 16 of that chapter that I read of John's encouragement, it says, All that is in the world, the, the lust of the flesh. Have you heard this phrase before? The lust of the flesh, the lust of our eyes, and the pride of life. All of that is not from the Father, but it's from the world. So what John is saying is this. is Actually, if we are focused on those things, if we are focused on those things, we can't expect wisdom from heaven to be in our lives. If we are focused on material things, if we're focused on the world, if we're focused on getting ahead all the time, the wisdom from heaven that James says we can have, it's not going to be in our lives because we're looking at the wrong thing. We're focusing on the wrong thing. Are you with me? And so I want to say to you that this kind of wisdom that James is talking about, it's a rare thing in in the world today. It's a special anointing that comes by the Holy Spirit. It comes to those whose hearts are open, whose hearts are soft to the things of God, who are determined 
to live their lives and walk by the Spirit in their lives and to value what God values. And so, James is trying to encourage us, every single one of us, as believers. Remember, he's writing to believers. He's trying to encourage us that we can all have this gift, that we would all desire this anointing that comes by the Holy Spirit. And it has nothing to do with being bright, clever, intelligent. It comes to you by the kindness of God. It comes to you as you love Jesus. It comes to you as you draw near to Him. It comes to you as you walk with Him over years and years and years. This wisdom from heaven starts to guide and motivate every decision that you make in your life. And so I want to very simply conclude this morning. Um, It might take a while for me to conclude, but this is my third point, all right? What does James say? This wisdom is from above. Remember, I pointed it out already. James 1.17 says, Every good gift, every perfect thing in your life comes from the Father in heaven. And it comes without a shadow of turning. There's no variation in what gives. And so, remember, everything that's in your life, and I've already alluded to some of these things, are gifts of God's common grace to your life. How you look, whether you're good-looking or not good-looking whether you are tall or short, whether you are bright or not, whether you're good at cricket, whether all those things are God's common grace in your life. And they are good things that come to you from Him. And why does James say that? He says that to, to, so that all of us will, encu- will be encouraged to know that every good thing that we have in our lives comes from Him. That's the basic encouragement. And now he says, even this wisdom from heaven is from above. It's from Him, this good gift of wisdom in your life that enables you to make good decisions and walk by the Spirit. It's a gift to you, an anointing from the Holy Spirit. And so, it's got nothing to do with your natural gifts. It's, uh, you can't inherit it from your parents. You can't get it by studying. You can't get it by education. It's completely unlike anything earthly, anything that is demonic, anything that's from the world. Completely unlike that. It only comes by walking with Jesus. Am I making my point this morning? And you know, that kind of wisdom, when you see it in your life, it's incredibly refreshing. It's incredibly surprising. It takes you by surprise. It leads you in a way that you would not normally go. And the only way I can describe it, and I'm sure all of you have had these experiences, is you get that eureka moment in your life where something just supernaturally happens and falls into place, and you know that it's God. Have you had those experiences? And I love what Michael Eaton says. He says, God's wisdom is full of the atmosphere of heaven. It's like when you experience this wisdom in your life, it's like heaven comes to you, and it's just a supernatural, wonderful thing. That's what I'm talking about. In fact, Paul says, Galatians 5:22, he uses different terminology, but he speaks about the same thing. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness. It's the same thing. That is wisdom from heaven. It comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to encourage you. Helen said, I shouldn't have said I'm not nice last week. Well, I want to say to this to you. Every good thing that comes and flows through your life is not your fruit. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit in you. 
That's what I mean by saying, I am not nice. In my natural fallen state, I am not a nice person. Every good thing that comes through me is the gift of the Holy Spirit in my life. It's His good fruit in my life. Every bad thing in my life is my own sin. That's what I'm saying. So, how does James describe this wisdom from heaven? He says, firstly, it's pure. Pure. And what James says means that this wisdom is single-minded. It's not mixed with other things. Remember, he's used all these other analogies. He says it's not, uh, when we talk, we can't have a, a source of both salt water and fresh water. You know, he talks, he says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. That's, that's kind of language. Wisdom from heaven is single-minded. It's not double-minded. It's not diluted. It's not, it doesn't have different sources flowing into it. It doesn't have a mixed source. It's characterized by a pure love for God that's undiluted, that's completely free from self-centeredness, it's free from a love of the world, it's free from pride, it's free from greed. You can't have any of those things mixed in with a pure wisdom that comes from heaven. You hear what I'm saying? And the Greek word again, I hope I'm getting it right. I don't know how to pronounce these words, Maria. <laughs> A-G-N-E, Anya. And it means blameless. The Greek word here for, uh, for, for pure means blameless. It's trying to stress the idea of not being ambivalent. You know that word ambivalent? It means like more than one thing. So wisdom from heaven is free from ambivalence. It's not influenced by your culture. It's not in, influenced by your personal preference. It's not influenced by being obligated to do things for anybody. Wisdom from heaven is pure. It's free of cultural preferences. It's free of of um, people's expectations. It's pure wisdom from heaven. That's why I say it's like we wouldn't come up with it. It can only be supernatural. It's peaceable. That's the second thing James says. Notice that he puts purity first and then peace. Purity first and then peace. I want to say this. Christian peace is not peace at any price. Hear what I'm saying? Christian peace is not peace at any price. Christian peace does go out of its way to be at peace with all people, but it doesn't place peace with people above peace with God or a good conscience. Those come first, always, in biblical um, Christianity. First, peace with God. What does God say? First, peace with our conscience. What does our conscience say? Then, peace with people. The postmodern culture wants peace with people without truth. That's not biblical. I read an article, well, it was a thing on YouTube this week by the dean of the St. Albans Abbey who asked the nation not to judge God on the base of what the Anglican Church has decided in terms of the issue of homosexuality. I want to say that grieves the heart of God. This is a man trying to convince the nation that actually the church has misrepresented what God says about homosexuality. And we are not to, the nation must not judge God on the basis of the church's decision about homosexuality. I want to say I completely oppose that. First peace with God. First peace with His Word. First, peace with our good conscience before we seek peace with men. You hear what I'm saying? 
Always. And that requires courage. A moral courage that only comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 5.44 calls us to love our enemies and to pray for those that hate us and do us harm. <laughs> I read a story, Helen and I read the story this week of Abraham Lincoln. Uh, it was part of our, our devotions. Abraham Lincoln in the Civil War in America. And there was obviously hatred between the North and the South. And uh, this hatred had become really entrenched in the culture. And people hated each other. And so Lincoln called for treatment, good treatment of the Southern rebels. And um, his critics said to him, don't you know that there's a war going on? Don't you know that these people are the enemy? We have to destroy the enemy. And he, he responded in this way, incredibly wise way. He said, I destroy my enemies by making them my friends. That's what the Bible says, isn't it? I destroy my enemies by making my friends. Pray for those that persecute you. Pray for those that have gossiped about you. Pray for those that are your enemies, that see themselves as your enemies. Be a, seek, do all that you can to live at peace with men. Absolutely. And we all come across, how many of you doesn't have a difficult person in your life? Anyone here doesn't have anyone who's difficult in your life? Okay, well, we all have difficult people in our lives. And we sometimes do have to put boundaries in our lives in terms of relationships that don't encourage us or relationships that are not helpful, or relationships that don't point us to Jesus. All of us know that there are certain relationships that you take a step back from because they're not doing you good. Anyone had a relationship like that? That's a different thing from slandering someone, from gossiping someone, about not seeking good for someone. It's a different thing. Now, the Bible encourages us to pray for those that give us a hard time. <laughs> It's not easy, but that's what the Bible says. Pray for those that give you a hard time. And you see, this is, the, this is why this kind of wisdom is the genius of Christianity, because there's a peace that comes into our lives. There's a confirmation that comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. I always use this phrase, we know in our knower that it's right. You know when you're doing the right thing, there's a peace in your conscience that comes. There's a peace in your life. There's a peace in your heart that comes because you know you're doing what is right. You might not always agree. It's not, it's not easy to love your enemy, is it? It's not, it's not easy to, to pray for those that accuse you and slander you. The right thing, though, is what the Bible calls us to do. And that's what Hebrews 4.12 says. It says, The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the heart and the, uh, the, the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the hearts and the intentions of men. See, when God puts a finger on something in your life, and you know it's right, and then the breakthrough comes, there's a peace that comes at the same time. You see, that's what I'm saying. Wisdom from heaven is confirmed by the peace that is in your life. Confirmation. Thirdly, he says it's gentle. Peace from, uh, wisdom from heaven refrains from harshness. It, it holds itself back from being harsh. It refuses to be easily offended. Wisdom from heaven looks on those that are irritating with sympathy. Any of you got irritating people in your life? I have. You know what the Bible says? I'm, I'm trying to say to you. It says when we look on irritating people, we should look not with that sense of but the sense of sympathy, being sympathetic to those in your life that irritate you. 
That is incredibly challenging. That can only come by the power of the Holy Spirit. Only. I think we need to remind ourselves every single day that we all have weaknesses, that there are people that do not have the gifts that we have. That should encourage us not to react harshly, not to react violently, not to react quickly. That's wisdom from heaven. And the thing that the Bible calls us to, which is supernatural, says that we are to show that kind of wisdom to those that are likable and easily, uh, we flow easily within our lives. And at the same time, we are to show that kind of wisdom to those that are aggressive, abusive in our lives, and give us a hard time. It is impossible without the power of the Holy Spirit. It's gentle. Wisdom from heaven is never extreme. It never tries to show other people up and it never puts people down. Wisdom from heaven is willing to listen, fourthly. Wisdom from heaven is willing to take the convictions of other people into account. We all have strong convictions, don't we? I mean, hopefully you've got some strong convictions in your life about what you believe is right. Must be. We must live from a place of truth, biblical truth. But some people give in too easily to other people and some people refuse to consider other people's convictions. And so it's like, it's my way or the highway. This is what it is. You do it my way or you don't do it at all. Have you ever met those kind of people? Well, wisdom from heaven is somewhere in between those two extremes. It just doesn't give in easy like that and it doesn't just get its own way. It's somewhere in between those two. It's ready to listen. It's ready to consider all the options and then in the presence of God, out of a place of prayer, makes a decision. That is wisdom from heaven. Not extreme. And the Greek word again is, I can't pronounce it, E-U-P-I-T-H-E-S. Euptichis. Which simply means pliant. Pliant means bendable. If something is pliant, it's bendable. And it's not saying that we don't have truth. It's saying that we are willing to accommodate other people's convictions. That's wisdom from heaven. Someone who's got wisdom from heaven, you know what? They make you feel comfortable. They make you feel like they're being heard. And when you feel comfortable and you feel heard, you're willing to be vulnerable and share your weaknesses with other people because you know they are considering you. Isn't that true? And that's what Hebrews 4.15 says. We do not have a high priest, speaking about Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet is without sin. Wisdom from heaven, wisdom that's from above, sympathizes with other people. It sympathizes with their weaknesses. It says, I understand what you're going through. So if we want to be Jesus to people, we've got to learn to sympathize with other people's weaknesses. It's sometimes comfortable to, to um, take other people's strengths, but to sympathize with someone's weakness is another thing. That's the thing that comes by the Holy Spirit. And lastly, it's full of mercy, full of good fruit, wisdom from heaven. You know what that means, being full of mercy? Being full of mercy means you are able, you have the strength, you have the ability to punish somebody else, but showing mercy means you refrain from punishing them. And God is full of mercy. <laughs> He's full of mercy. He's full of mercy. He has all the ability and the power to punish us, and yet he restrains himself 
out of his mercy, he takes his hand away. He, He chooses to overlook something. Out of his great mercy, he sent his son that we might be free, that the blood of Christ might take away our sin. See, mercy doesn't make you feel afraid, does it? Because fear has to do with knowing that you're going to be punished. Mercy takes that fear of punishment out of our lives. I want to ask you, I want to change myself. In our relationships with other people, are we helping them to feel less afraid? Because they know we're not judging them. Always their sense of, i mm, not sure. I want to encourage you. It's people that have been shown great mercy, mercy in their lives that are able to show mercy to other people. When you know the grace of God, when you know how much you've been forgiven for your weaknesses, for your insanity, <laughs> you are able to extend that mercy to others in your life because you've expressed it yourself. And that's what uh, the Bible's full of these encouragements, isn't it? Um, Ephesians 2.4, God is rich in mercy. Aren't you grateful that God is rich in mercy? And James, what does he say? James said earlier, mercy always triumphs over judgment. Mercy always triumphs over judgment. Let that be true of our lives and our relationships as we walk with other people. You know what mercy does? It refuses to say, I told you so. I don't know how many times I've said that in my life. I told you so. Someone comes and they do something in their life and they come back years later. It's a complete mess. I told you so. Not merciful, is it? You can see someone going to do something, get into a relationship that's going to destroy them. And you want to just want to say, please don't do it. And some, it's good to say, please don't do it. And they go off and they do it anyway and they come back years later completely smashed up. What does mercy say? We take you back. Mercy says, God loves you. Mercy says, I. I'll stand with you. Mercy does not say, I told you so! God lets us completely off the hook, doesn't he? We're required to do that with other people. It's full of good works that come from a good heart, full of good fruit. It puts its money where where its mouth is. It lives out the kingdom. It does what it says. And uh, he concludes by saying, it's without a critical spirit. It's free from hypocrisy. That means... That wisdom from heaven doesn't argue, it doesn't wrangle, it it doesn't try and get its own way, it doesn't, it's not full of doubt towards people, it's not full of doubt towards God. Wisdom from heaven doesn't like a critical spirit. How many of you have been around people that have a critical spirit? You just know it's critical, because everything they say has got some kind of negative connotation. That's not wisdom from heaven. It's It's a wisdom that's free from hypocrisy, it's open, there's no pretense. In other words, it's real love. It's real love. No partiality, no cultural favoritism, nothing. And so I want to encourage you as I conclude, and I am concluding now, this is my last point, that we become people that sow seeds of heavenly wisdom in our lives. And James concludes with this very fascinating little verse. He says, A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And he's using a farming picture, very simple farming picture. When you plant a seed, it naturally grows. The plant comes, it bears fruit, and the fruit has seeds, which then reproduce themselves again. It's a, it's a, it's a positive cycle that goes on forever and ever. 
And James is saying that there's the same thing that is in our lives as Christians in terms of wisdom from heaven. There's a great promise for us as believers. The promise is that as we sow seeds of wisdom in our lives, we will reap a harvest of righteousness, all that is peaceful, all that is lovely, all that is noble. We will sow, we will, as we sow the right seed, we will produce that harvest in our lives by the power of the Spirit. How many of you don't want that? I do. And so this picture is very simple. He says, it starts with those who are willing to be peacemakers. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. To do this, to live like this, we have to be peacemakers. What does Matthew say? Matthew 5, 9, the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the peacemakers. Makers, And remember, I've already said, it's not peace at any price. It's peace with God, with a good conscience. Peace with His Word. Peace by His Spirit, first of all. Then peace with men. Blessed are the peacemakers. I want to say to you, there's no greater reward in our lives than peace that comes from heaven. And the Bible says that God is the God of peace, and we can have peace with Him. That comes when we are saved. Isn't that right? When we say, when we say, yes, Jesus, I'm a dirty, rotten scoundrel, please save me, we have peace with him. But the Bible also uses another phrase, the peace of God. Not only talking about being saved, but there's a peace of God that we can enjoy in our lives. And Philippians 4, 7 says that kind of peace, that kind of peace that we can enjoy, it surpasses understanding. It's supernatural. It's something out of this world. I use that purposefully. It's a supernatural peace that we can know and enjoy that comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. And James says, if we sow seeds of wisdom in our lives, we can enjoy that supernatural peace that passes all understanding. And so, in other words, it comes from living a life of righteousness, which is showing justice in your life. It's living for other people. And the fruit of that in your life is peace. And so we have this privilege as Christians, we have this privilege as believers that every one of us can be a peacemaker. A peacemaker. Perhaps you're sitting here this morning and you know in your family and in your other relationships that you have, there are some that you do not have peace with. There are some that you don't have peace with. Well, there's something that we can all do about that. And what we can do is begin in a place of prayer, asking God that he would, he would make us instruments of reconciliation somehow, whether that's now in the next couple of weeks, next couple of days, whether that's months or years, doesn't matter, but that we can be those that help to reconcile by being peacemakers. You know what Hosea says, chapter 10, verse 12? Sow for yourself the seed of righteousness and reap the harvest of mercy. Farming analogy again. Sow seeds of righteousness. What do you reap? What do you reap? You reap a harvest of mercy in your life. How many of you want mercy? <laughs> I want mercy. I want mercy more than I want judgment. Yes? But let's be those that sow mercy by giving mercy to other people. So finally, the illustration is simple. Very simple illustration. The wise Christian the one who knows wisdom from heaven, is like a gardener. As basic as that. It's like a gardener. How many of you like gardening? We're getting old now, so we enjoy gardening. Well, Helen enjoys it particularly. Not, not that you're older than me. 
There's something wonderful when you till the soil and you plant a rose or whatever it is and you see it bloom and grow. Beautiful. It's a fantastic illustration. So the wise Christian is like a gardener who sows the right seed. He sows seeds of righteousness in his life. By the power of the Holy Spirit, as God transforms him, he sows the, or, or her. Be correct? Okay. You sow those seeds of righteousness, and what does it produce in your life? It produces peace. And the harvest of righteousness produces more peace. It's a virtuous cycle in your life. You sow more seeds, you reap more mercy. You sow more mercy, you reap more fruit. What fruit do you reap? You reap, reap the harvest of peace in your life. Righteousness, peace, and joy that comes by the Holy Spirit. As that happens, your life enlarges and you impact more people for the kingdom as you live a life like that. It comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. Can I encourage you as we move, as we go on holiday now and we come back in September, there's many things that God is calling us to. I, I, I challenged you with some of those things last week, how we can reach out and, and be salt and light into this community. But can I encourage you that every one of us sets ourselves free from pettiness, sets ourselves free from unforgiveness, that we can be effective for the kingdom. Because I, I want to say this to you. I want to enjoy that wisdom from heaven increasingly in my life. I want to give myself more to that virtuous cycle of sowing seeds of righteousness and seeing a harvest of mercy and peace in my own life. And surely that's what we want for this, kingdom, this group of friends so that the kingdom can come and we can see him do amazing things in this community. That, that kind of wisdom will give us a new attitude, a new spirit, new everything that will produce a harvest for the kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy. Amen.